So I had a really good video for that part right there. After that, you guys know in the office that that's all of that's what she said jokes. We were going to put that right there, but I didn't want to get in trouble by some of my bosses. I didn't know if they thought. But I feel like it's a really perfect video for tonight. So tonight we are in week three of our relationship series. And we uh, first two weeks we have discussed relationships, right? We have discussed all the relationships in our lives, the ones with our parents, the ones with our siblings, our friends, and even our boyfriends and girlfriends, and how all of these relationships are designed by God for us to build into each other. They're designed for us to, to put in as much as we take. But all of these relationships could never take place if we didn't have a relationship with God first, right? They don't function in the same way without God in them. And, and all of our relationships are just going to be that much better if we have God in them in the first place. And then week two, we talked about lust versus love. And we talked about how those two words are, are really similar. They're really the four letters. They start with L, and, and sometimes they get confused with each other, but how vastly different they are, how, how God displays a love to us that is unlike any other, how he is the embodiment of love, and how lust is this meaning that we took last week of just having something in your lives, just having somebody to serve your needs, to, to satisfy you, and instead of wanting to sharpen that relationship, instead of wanting to pour into them just as much as they pour into you. And so we, we discussed the difference between lust and love and relationships, and tonight we sent the 8th graders, 6th graders, 7th graders downstairs to talk about sex. And, and the first three things that people think about when we talk about sex in church is, one, they either they giggle, they think it's funny, which it can be pretty funny sex, but two, they automatically get awkward, they get confused, and they think, should we be talking about this in church? And then the third set didn't even hear the word sex because they were already thinking about it and talking about it, and it's so ingrained in your lives from media and everything that you don't even really notice it anymore. And so my life, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Baptist church in Glade Spring, and I would sit most Sundays just staring at the ceiling at these wood planks trying to figure out what shapes I saw the week before or what faces I could see in the wood. And I grew up in a youth group, and, and we always talked about everything growing up, from God to, to forgiveness to love. But one thing that we didn't talk about was relationships or sex. And so it was up to me to see in the media or to see my friends who weren't very good influences or to see on TV shows or magazines different things and learn a form of sex that God had no intention of being formed, right? This perverted form of sex that we see in TV shows or on movies. And then with a, one time the church would talk about it, it would be don't have it until you're married and sex is a bad thing. And so how were we supposed to go about that? How are we, if we've already crossed that line, if we've already done something and we're told that we're going to hell or something? Or, or what about if we already know more than our parents think we know? Or what about when prom night comes up and that's the only picture of prom night that we've ever had? And so today we are going to talk about truth. We're not going to talk about the basics and biology or anything that's going to be uncomfortable because I want you guys to listen. I don't want you to be uncomfortable about anything that we talk about. So we're going to talk about the truths of what God has to say about sex. And what God has to say about sex is a lot in the Bible. He talks a lot in the Bible about sex. God has a lot to say about sex. Sex is a big deal to God. You are surrounded by a lot of sex. You're being bombarded by messages. You're being bombarded by conversations with other people. And we watch and we read The Bachelor and, and all of these movies and TV shows, and we're bombarded by these messages about sex that are completely untrue, that, that it's this form of something that is just physical that we can walk away from without any repercussions, and we're constantly being surrounded by it. 
you're likely thinking about sex a lot. So all of these things that we're constantly thinking about, that we're constantly involved in, that we constantly see on TV. Like I said, tonight, tonight is more of a theology course, which falls in line with this series that we're going to talk about. We want to see what God has to say about sex, and in light of that, see what he has to say about our lives. And so if we could sum up where we're heading tonight in short statements, it would be sex is a di- big deal to God, and handling sex God's way should be a big deal to us. Sex is a big deal to God, so handling it his way should be a big deal to us. So take a moment to dive in and, and pick apart that first statement. Sex is a big deal to God. How do we know this? For starters, when Adam and Eve were created, God didn't just put Adam and Eve together like two Mr. Potato Heads. He didn't just stick stuff somewhere. He made it in a perfect form for a perfect purpose, right? He created Adam and Eve, and we believe in the Bible. We believe that the things it says, and we believe that he created Adam and Eve for a purpose, and he had specific purposes in his design for sex. There's this guy named Dennis Hollinger who is the president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. So in other words, a really smart guy, and he wrote this book called The Meaning of Sex. In it, he talks about God's purpose for sex. He gives four. The first is procreation. Remember this, Hollinger guy is a really smart guy, but procreation obviously means making babies, and God created sex in a way for us to continue populating the world. In Genesis 1, 28, God gives his first command to the man and the woman he created. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God looks at Adam and Eve and, and says, this is why I made you guys. This is what I want you guys to do. I want this world to be full of people that come from you. And so how do you make babies? You have sex. Number two is the consummation of marriage. Again, another big word, but consummation means making something official. Remember the verse we looked at last week in Genesis. 2.24 says that that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So if you remember this verse, it's talking about marriage, but it's also talking about the whole why and the whole deal of what sex is in this marriage, right? It's, it's okay to have this marriage and walking down the aisle and the dresses and the groomsmen and the bridesmaid and the pictures and the rings and the, the buffet line and the party, but God looks at a marriage at the moment of consummation. He, he looks at a marriage in the marriage bed and says, that is what a marriage is. That is what I want life to be. That is what a couple is. When they do that and when they are one person together, a man and a woman, doing that is what a marriage is. And so God is saying that this point in a wedding is where he's actually beginning the marriage. The third thing is that it fosters love and intimacy. God created sex to be a very intimate act. It involves a lot of vulnerability. It creates a physical emotional and spiritual we often lose sight of those second two things it creates this connection between two people and there's actually scientific research that shows that there's different chemical dependencies that come from a man and a woman having sex that bonds them psychologically together and so it's this act that 
bonds these people together, it's not just hooking up and leaving. It's something that stays with you. It's something that's physical, emotional, and spiritual all at the same time. And the fourth thing is pleasure. God could have made this robotic. He could have made it however he wanted it to be, but instead the biology of it set it up to be something that is enjoyable. And they mainly because we are in a place, the church, where somewhere along the way we have brought into this that God hates sex or if he doesn't hate sex, he hates good sex and pleasurable sex. He, he only wants it for us to make babies. He only wants sex for this one specific purpose. This is important to make sure you hear tonight. God's view of sex is good. See, if I'm afraid some of you may not, some of you may be under the impression that God says sex is bad and that these are things that we shouldn't be talking about. But the idea of all of this is that God says that sex is good. Because sex is a big deal to God. And so you look at those four purposes of sex. You look at it as the key to the human race continuing. So it, it is obviously something that God wants to happen to continue this human race. It is the seal the deal moment of the marriage. So it's pretty important to God. It fosters love and intimacy, two things that God is all about, two things that God has said from day one that he loves. And if he made it pleasurable, it's kind of a sign that he's a fan of it. But it's not just God's purpose that shows how big a deal sex is. There's another aspect to this that really helps us grasp how big of a deal it is. It's what we are going to call God's parameters. And this is where we talk about the second part of the big idea that we talked about right at the beginning. of handling sex God's way should be a big deal to us. So listen, sex is so powerful and sin is so real that we have to be aware of how Satan uses something that God said is good, that God said is something that we should use to do all of these things, and turns it into exactly what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Right? He, he told Adam and Eve, you can have all of this stuff. I have one rule. You can't eat from this one tree. Satan comes and says, this one tree is going to give you power. This one tree is going to give you information. It's going to unlock all of these things that God does not want you to have. And so why don't you partake in this fruit and be the people who God really sees that you, he doesn't want you to be? And they did it. And so he's doing the same thing to sex. He's saying, whatever you do, you know, God says to, to wait till marriage. God says to do it in the right way. Don't do it outside of marriage. But it's okay to do it whenever because nothing's going to happen. It's only going to affect you physically. We can hook up and we can separate and nothing is going to happen to us. So throughout Scripture, God gives clear instruction and guidelines when it comes to how we should handle sex. I don't want to overcomplicate this all, so try to boil it down into two things. Number one, the time and place for sex is marriage. He sets in motion right away with Adam and Eve in Genesis this one point. Genesis 2.24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They are united in marriage. And then in Hebrew, Paul says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. These verses and many others paint a really clear picture that sexual activity is meant to be between a man and a woman who are married, and sexually, actively outside of marriage is completely out of bounds. That doesn't go for just people that are young and not in relationships. It doesn't go 
for just people who are in relationships. It goes for everyone. If you're married, you should not be having sex outside of that marriage. If you're divorced, you should not be having sex until you're married. It goes for everyone. He doesn't single out people. And this leads us to part two of God's parameters. Flee from sexual immorality. We've all asked this question. If you haven't asked it out loud, you've probably asked it to yourself. How far is too far? I mean, if sex is meant to be something that happens when you are married and sex outside of it is out of bounds, what can we do before we keep towing that line? What, how far can we go? And guys, I'm not here to tell you lines that you should and shouldn't cross. I'm not going to stop you from doing anything. Your parents aren't going to stop you from doing anything. But we know deep down that the line should not even be something to be questioned. It shouldn't be something that we even have to deal with. It, deep down inside of us, we try to see something different, and we try to convince our minds that, you know, it's okay to do this or that or this or that. But deep down inside of us, we definitely know. Ephesians 4, 5 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. The phrase I want to lock in on is that hint of sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Again, sexual immorality. And so instead of trying to, to tow a line that, that we know should not even be come close to what we are towing, step away from that line and step into something that God wants us to be. Sexual immorality has so many more repercussions than what we think it does. So when I first got into ministry, I uh, was counseling couples, and I counseled a lot of uh, premarital couples, and I would go and meet with them and talk about how marriage was supposed to be and, and what God wanted us to do and what not to do. And the further I got into the counseling, I started counseling actual couples who were already married and having problems. And my first couple of couples were easy. They were having a couple of money problems and a couple of other problems with their kids. And it wasn't anything too serious. And then one day my pastor asked me to come and tag along with him uh, on another couple counseling that we were all going to do together. So it was me and my pastor and this other couple. And so as soon as we got into the room, I knew something was different. Something was different than any of these other counselings that, that I had been a part of. And as I sat there and listened to their story, it was this couple who had been married for 20 years. They had kids who were grown up, and they had slowly begun to tell us that they were falling out of love. They had come to a place where they were no longer happy, they were no longer having sex, and they were no longer in a relationship that they wanted to be in. They wanted to separate. They didn't want it to happen anymore. And they had plans to do that. And so we sit and listen to their story for an hour or two. And, and I didn't say much because this was like a serious experience that I hadn't been really a part of before. And it came down to this point where they were crying. And, and when I see other people cry, I start crying. And so all of this emotion was in this room. And I felt it on my heart to ask them if they still loved each other. And so I said, you know, do you guys even still feel love for each other? And, and they said, after a couple of seconds, yeah, yeah, we, we still feel love for each other. And so I said, instead of separating, instead of ruining this with a divorce and causing heartache that's going to happen for years down the road, why can you not give it six more months of really hard trying that's going to hurt, it's going to be hard, it's going to take some sacrifices? So six months or a year, how much is that compared to the 20 years that you've already been together? 
And so we talked for a long time and finally left there at a place that, that the pastor and I thought was good. We, we had this weight lifted off our, our shoulders. We walked to the car and we're, we're saying that we kind of really felt like something had changed. And then it sticks with me. All these conversations that I have with people, they, they stick with me. I, I, I want to fix things and I want things to be fixed. And so I was praying that, that this marriage would be fixed. And I got a call like five days later that the wife had been cheating on the husband for almost a year, that she left him that week, and that none of our talk had, had even felt like it had occurred. And I was crushed. It, it crushed me. I knew this couple for three hours. I talked to them for three hours, and it felt like my soul was crushed. We had looked into each other's eyes, and I felt like she was telling me the truth, and I feel like I can read people well. And this woman just lied, and I wasn't hurt because she lied to me. I was hurt because I felt like that I failed at something, that I failed at helping them. Sexual immorality does not come alone. It does not come by itself. Sexual immorality makes us really good liars. It makes us lie to people, and it makes us lie so well that other people cannot even see it. It brings anxiety. It brings worry into our lives. It brings things into our lives that we had no clue were going to come with this. And God does not want those things in our lives. And as we close tonight, the band can come back up. I have a couple of more things to say. But hear my heart on this. God is not here to make us miserable. And like I said, I have no control over you guys. There's the statistics are crazy on sex in high school and everything. And I would hope that those statistics would skew so far in our favor that God would put hands on everybody and, and tell us about that. But he does not want to make our lives miserable. God made sex to be enjoyable. He made sex for us to connect with our partner physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He wants that to save us for marriage so that we are whole people. Here's the thing. When we hook up or Netflix and chill or do any of these things that we talk about and we're stuck together with people, when we rip apart from that, it is inevitable that a piece of us goes with them. So we hook up with somebody, and a piece of us goes with them. We hook up with another person, and a piece of us goes with them. And we are left without these pieces of us. Have you ever been putting together a puzzle, and, and it's a really big puzzle, thousands of pieces, and there's no way we can do it in one day? And sometimes we're really good at this puzzle, and we're on the edge pieces, and it goes really quick. And some days it gets so frustrating that we can't find that one piece, and so we have to step away from it. And then we finally get down to the last 50 or 100 pieces, and the puzzle's going really well, and then we get to the last couple of pieces, and disaster hits, right? We, we cannot find the two or three pieces after this puzzle we have been working on, it seems like, our whole life. And this puzzle looks really good. If we put it on the wall, we wouldn't be able to tell that a couple of those pieces were missing from the outside. We can view people and not see that a piece of them is missing. But if we step up close to that puzzle, we can see the pieces in it missing. God wants all of us to come to him. He wants all of us to be whole when we come to him for the purposes that he has. But get this straight. If you come to him without some pieces, his grace is so great that it won't matter. It just takes us to ask. And so what happens if we already stepped over that line? Is, is, is my life over? Is God never going to forgive me? God forgives anybody for anything. God is so great. Thank God for God's grace. And so no, no matter where we are in life, 
God is welcoming to us. It's so much easier in our lives if he has that whole puzzle. He wants that whole puzzle, and it's going to take that whole puzzle for us to do the things that he wants us to do. And so no matter where you are in life, take the pieces that you have and give them to God. Give God the puzzle that you have, and he can work miracles with any puzzle. It doesn't matter what pieces are missing, what pieces are there. All it takes is an ask. And if that's you, if, if something has happened that wasn't your choice in your life, and you're thinking that that is going to keep you from God, it is not. We are here for anything like that. If something has happened to you physically, emotionally, all of these things can be covered in God's blood. It just takes an ask, guys. It, it just takes one thing. And so I'm never going to judge anybody for any kind of decisions that they've made in their past, the, the decisions that they make in their future, but I'm just going to keep telling you that God can cover it all. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, but it's going to be so much easier if we come to God with the pieces that we have now. And so as we close tonight in prayer and we, we hear this last song, I just want you guys to think about your life, think about where you are. And we are here for questions, we are here for answers, we are here for anything that you have with us. Will you guys pray with me? God, sometimes we are so low for decisions that we've made that we feel like we cannot climb out. And you're down with us. You're, you're with us no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what line we've crossed. Show us how to step away, how to stop fooling ourselves from stepping over this line and, and dragging a toe in the sand and saying, is that enough? Is, is that too much? And then drawing another line, stepping over it. Help us step away from these lines and step into you. Step into the things that you want us. You want all of us. And if we're in pieces, you can use that too. So help us see so clear. Help us to be one. And if we are broken, help put us back together again. We pray so hard that we could see clearly how our life is going, how our life is moving in this direction towards you. We pray that you come to us. We pray that you help us see all of this so clear. Thank you so much for the night. Thank you for this message. It's in your name we pray. Amen.